after Jesus went back up to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to give believers new life. Through God's Spirit, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Today, this new life is still offered to those willing to receive it. Morning. Morning. Welcome to all of you in this room, those watching online as we begin. As Jason said, this really year together, this program year together, we are starting with a new series of messages. Jason mentioned that, and I'm looking forward to studying the book of Acts. But my hope is it will also be a new season for the life of our church. What do I mean by that? I mean a season where all of us, wherever you are in the discipleship experience, there's how long you've been a Christian, that all of us would take a deeper step, another step into our following of Christ. Take a deeper step of discipleship. There are many opportunities to do that. What does it mean? We'll talk about that, to take a deeper step into discipleship. So that's for a challenge for all of us. But then as a church, my hope is, as collectively as a church, we will be all the more committed as we look over this season beginning here this morning committed to experiencing, fulfilling our mission that God has given to us to see more people, as Jason mentioned a second ago, in this community come to engage the love of God, to experience the grace of God, to come and know Christ personally. So that's my hope as a church as we begin this year together. We're going to do it in the book of Acts, as Jason mentioned. Now, the book of Acts, many of you know this. The book of Acts is the, is the origin book of the Christian church, right? It is a book of theology. It's the fifth book in your New Testament, or excuse me, a book of, but it's a book of history, but it's also a book of theology. But it's telling you and telling me what did it look like, a bird's eye view, as the church of Jesus Christ came into being, how did it happen, and what did it look like? You see this in the book of Acts. It was a church, the, the early church, that was captivated by grounded in the scriptures, number one. In fact, the New Testament particularly was being written as these uh, history is unfolded in the book of Acts. Grounded in the scriptures, alive in the spirit. And the purpose of the New Testament church was to advance the ministry, the calling, the mission of the resurrected Jesus Christ, which is where the book starts, okay? So what were they doing? They were doing what he did. So we have to ask ourselves, do we act this way? The church was doing what he did, saying what he said. It was disturbing at times the world around it. It was delighting the world around it, a world that desperately needed the gospel, but also at times was resisting the gospel, as some of us did in our own uh, story. What you see in the book of Acts really in all the scriptures, but what you see particularly in the book of Acts is two worlds that collide, you might say. The one world that you see is, is the broken world that we all inherited, the one that we still live in today that's broken, that's fundamentally broken, that is, 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 is falling apart, that in many ways is organized against the ways of God. It's the broken world we all inherited, but there's a second world 
This is what the book of Acts is about. A second world, an alternate world that is created by the descent of the Spirit of God. We call this the church. We'll see it in in, 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 in full technicolor next week as we look at that passage together. What you see in the scriptures and in, in, in history as well is you see this conflict of these worlds. The first world is constantly um, pulling us or trying to pull you and me, all people, Christians and none, away from God and the purposes of God. And when you and I as Christians are not full of God, full of his word, when that's not what's happening, that's why I talk about a greater commitment to discipleship, is I'm not full of God and full of his word. I allow the world to take God's place. And the world begins to fill my mind and fill my heart. It's, it's like a sponge thrown into a mud puddle. Okay? That's what happens. It's happened to people throughout the course of history. It's a challenge for every one of us in this room today. I want to show you a quick chart, some of you, uh, the generations of church attendance in the 20th century. Really, there's uh, uh, one, two, three, six generations here. Some of you would know this. They call it the greatest generation, the people who fought in World War uh, II. In the greatest generation, which ended around 1927, 56% of people, maybe your, your parent, grandparents uh, in this room, were, were church-going people, the greatest generation. The silent generation. Went from 28 to 45. About 44% of these people were church-going people. The boomers, some in this room, that ended from 46 to 64, 32%. And then Generation X, from 1965 to roughly 1980, 27% of Generation X claimed they went to church. The millennial generation, from 1981 roughly to 1996, 18% say they go to church. And the current generation, called Generation Z, the numbers are imperfect, but it's certainly less than 18%. The study that I read said that Generation Z, uh, the current generation that uh, uh, of young people today, is the first post-Christian generation. Now, what do they mean by that? doesn't mean you can't be a Christian. doesn't mean you can't go to church. You're in church today. But what it means when they say it's the first post-Christian generation is one of the main reasons church attendance has gone down and it's down very perhaps below 15% is because we've now lived in a culture that wasn't true 20 years ago, certainly wasn't true 50 and 80 years ago, where the Christian gospel, the Christian church, even basic morality isn't even taught and reinforced in, in, in the, most of the rest of society. Whether you were a Christian or not, maybe in you know, 30 years ago or 100 years ago, you could go to a public school, you could go to a, 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 a workplace, you would, there would be certain things that you would be reflective of, you might say, a Christian worldview, whether you were a Christian or not. They call that a, a Christian generation. It doesn't mean everyone's a Christian, but it means Christian values, Christian understanding was reflected in institutions of society. Today, what it means to be in a post-Christian generation, if you believe uh, these comments, is simply this. It doesn't mean people are anti-Christian. It doesn't mean they're, they're against God. It just means they're not going to go anywhere unless they're in a room like this one where they're going to have any inclination of the ways of God whatsoever. It's been evaporated out of society. The generation 
Z, as they call it, is twice as likely, hopefully it's not true of your uh, kids, it's twice as likely to be an atheist. Again, not because they're being, someone's changed their mind, not because they've given up on God. That's just the world that they've grown up in. This world, this community, the one that you live in and the one that I live in. At such times like this, what we need personally, I think for some of us in this room, corporately, is a revival. Okay, a revival. Now, what do I mean by revival? You hear that word often sometimes in church. What it means is a revival doesn't mean that you and I need to be saved again. Many of you have hopefully a good theology. If you're a Christian here today, you've heard this term, once saved, always saved. You can't lose what God has given you freely by his grace. It doesn't mean that you're saved again, but it means you need to be renewed in your faith, in your witness. And the beauty is this has happened, I mean, in a grand scale in, the, let's say, the United States of America, at least four times in the history of America. Let me give you a quick history in a, in, in a, in a, in a glance. They're called the Great Awakening. Some of you have heard these terms before. The first Great Awakening, I mean, spiritual Great Awakening, happened in the 1730s. And for, for a couple of decades leading up to the American Revolution, many people would say, that the reason America is not a perfect country, but America ended up the way it ended up in the, in, in the 18th century, that it was very, the reason it was very different from the French Revolution, which was a bloodbath, was because of the second or the first great awakening in the early part of the 18th century. Then there was a second great awakening. And that second great awakening was at the beginning of the 19th century. In the second great awakening, the 1810s, the 1820s, the 1830s, it had been largely started in western New York, 17 counties, including the county of Monroe. And it took on this term called the burned over district. And you know who popularized that term, who, who, who gave that term to western New York? A guy named Charles Finney. If you know the name Charles Finney. In the burned over district, was, was, it was a metaphor talking about the fire of the spirit that burned over this area. And it didn't only see many, many people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Many, many church started, but it did more than that. It brought about social reform. The women's suffrage movement. Seneca Falls, an hour or so from here, was, many, was, was the result of the Second Great Awakening. Listen, many people would say the abolition of slavery and the Civil War in America and in England was part of the Second Great Awakening. Then there was the Third Great Awakening. Some of you know this, the turn of the century, Los Angeles, California, that happened in this, in this country. It's huge in the 1910s and the 1920s. And then what they call the Fourth Great Awakening. Some of you were a part of it in the late 1960s, in the 1970s. It's happened before, and it can happen again. It's a sovereign work of God. These great awakenings. In other words, it's, it's at a place where people think there's no hope. The church is declining. What can we do? And out of what seems like heaven, God comes down and initiates a work. I'm not so sure there isn't one going on right now. It's hidden in plain sight. I don't know how much you pay attention or I pay attention to these things. In the last six months in California, they've baptized, one day they baptized 4,000 people in Huntington Beach. California, okay? I mean, it's a sovereign work of God. We can't commandeer it, but we can seek and prepare it. The goal of this overall series, this season, as Jason mentioned, this year, is to stimulate a spiritual revival in this congregation that I hope will begin with us, begin with me, a renewal in me, a renewal in you, and a renewal in us, but that will spread out 
to the many, many people in your life and in my life, in this community, who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Okay? That's the goal of what we're doing here this morning and I think throughout the course of this year. Okay? Now, where do I want to begin? The opening chapter. Acts chapter 1, we're just going to, by way of introduction, the title of this service, sermon is a community, or you might say a church in waiting. The church is about to be born. Follow along as I read Acts chapter 1, first five verses. In my former book, Theophilus, the my is Luke, the author of the third gospel. Theophilus is his friend. This is volume 2. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven, the ascension, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, going back to John's gospel, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now this is a pivotal chapter in the entire Bible because you might say it's leading up to, it's a community in waiting. In Acts chapter 2, we'll look at it next week, something dramatic happens. The penny drops, the Spirit of God drops, and the new world is started. So something very dramatic. It's, it's a dramatic change. It's a pivotal chapter. But before this happens, right, there's 10 days of silence. Ten days between when Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes. And the purpose of these ten days is for this community, and I hope ours, by way of looking at this one, is going to learn some very important truths about the nature of the new life and the new world that's coming. Point number one, Acts chapter one. God's purpose requires God's power. That's what he wants, Jesus wants them to think about. Now, the power that's promised here, we know it. He mentions it in this passage. I want you to wait. Don't do anything. Don't run out the door. Don't take on these, uh, this great calling on your own. I want you to wait for the promise of the Spirit. We've already talked about it, Jesus says, right? I, we've, we've talked about this before, verse 4. I want you to wait for this power. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. But, let me say this. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's not as if Jesus is leaving, I'm done, I'm, I'm leaving the scene, and I'm turning it over. Some people think it's their theology. I'm turning it over to the Holy Spirit. The time of Jesus is over, the time of the Holy Spirit has come. But see, that's not what's going on here at all. I wrote to you, verse 1, about all that Jesus began to do. Jesus is just getting started. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus, the purpose of the Spirit is to make the life and person and teaching of Jesus come alive in your life. John chapter 16, listen to these words. This is what he's talking about when he said, you've heard me talk about it before. But when he, this is Jesus, the upper room discourse, the Spirit of truth, another name for the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
He will not speak on his own. He's not here to point, point his finger at himself. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The role of the Spirit is to make Jesus more real to you. God's purpose is requires God's power. And what he's saying here in verse 1 is so important when you think about your life, my life, the life of the church. The, the whole point of the Christian life is about what he has done. Verse 1. Oh, my friend Theophilus, I want you to know, I want all that I wrote about, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The Christian life is not about what you do, what you have done, what God wants you to do. It begins with what he has done. And when that truth, that he died and rose, mentions his suffering, on the third day rose from the dead, when that truth becomes a power, it changes your life. Okay? God's purpose requires God's power. I, I uh, sold some um, doors. I got some new doors at my house. I'll exterior doors, Facebook uh, marketplace. This guy shows up, 7 o'clock in the morning. And he picks them up, and he's, you know, I am helping him tie them to the roof of his car. And I just, just listening to him, just get to meet him. His name was Sam. And, you know, this, he, he, the doors had to do with one job. He actually had two jobs. And he was talking about his life, his kids, his grandkids. It was exhausting. Listening, I just felt for the guy. And, and exhausting in the sense that he must have an exhausting life is what I mean. I, was, I enjoyed talking to him. He's like, oh, and yeah, this is one job. I got another job. And we're talking. And then all of a sudden, as, as I'm listening to him, I see a Bible on the, um, his car was all full of stuff, but I saw a Bible on the dashboard. I said, hey, see him, I got a Bible. He goes, oh, yeah. I, I, uh, I go, do you go to church? He goes, well, my whole life I've never gone to church. Um, I didn't have any church background. But he said, I've been dating this woman. Uh, lately, and uh, she brought me to this church. And I said, that's great. And I go, how's it going? He goes, well, then he went on to talk about, it was almost like I was receiving a confession. All the things that he wasn't doing right, and oh, I'd like to do this, and I do too much of that. And I was just like, just listening. And then I said, well, do you go to church? And he said, yes, I do. And he mentioned where he went in the city, and he goes, um, I go every week, I never miss. He goes, but, he had a smile on his face, he goes, but I have to tell you the truth. He goes, I sleep through the entire sermon. <laughs> And I said, really? And I said, I, I, I didn't, and then I told him I was a pastor. But I said, and, and he said, he kind of laughed. And I said, well, if you do, and I was just having fun. I go, well, why do you go? He goes, I sleep every time. He goes, well, I'll tell you why. He goes, because it's the best hour of sleep I get all week. <laughs> now, it's funny, but he was saying something. He was saying, you know what? I don't have any church background at all. And I said, well, listen, Sam, I'm so glad you're finding value there that being, let's say, in a church, it's giving you this kind of good sleep, a sense of peace. I'm glad you're getting some truth, but here's what he, he, he was a guy who had some truth, but he had no power. And I said, listen, the Christian life is not about earning anything from God. It's about what he has done. And I just shared a little bit with him. And I said, if, if, if that truth becomes a truth inside of you, it'll be a power that'll change your life. But as I thought about his story, it made me think of what I think a lot of people I talk to here in, in my life, even in the church. A lot of us live our lives attempting to live the Christian life on our own strength. We're spiritually exhausted and we're discouraged. And because of it, we take very few risks in our faith. Many people I talk to, all the more in this sort of divisive world we live in, see Christianity as a place to be safe, 
a place to, maybe a safe place to raise your kids, but not a place where you can find deep purpose and deep calling. A lot of us have truth, but we don't have power, right? A lot of us have truth, but we don't have power. God's purpose requires God's power. Second, God's power is for God's mission. That's what this passage talks about. Verse 6, listen to these verses. Then they gathered around him. This is the disciples. Remember, they've been sitting with Jesus for three or four weeks. The resurrected Jesus, it's it's mind-blowing. They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are Are the good old days coming back? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And, when, and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem where they were sitting and all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from his, their sight, the ascension. They were looking intently into the sky and he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. This is almost like a comedy if you didn't know better. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken back from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go. In other words, quit looking up. He just gave you an assignment to do. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. It's coming. You got 10 days to think about it. You got 10 days to get ready for it. But when it comes, the purpose of the power of God is to be a witness of the resurrection to other people, to point other people to God. The, the disciples' question, verse 6, is reflective, listen very carefully, of an age-old problem that Christians have had all the way up to the present day. What is the age-old problem reflected in the question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We are more interested... We have our moment with Jesus. We're more interested in life getting better. The good old days. Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this the time where we're going to have, um, we're going to get the police off the corners of our streets? I'm talking about the Roman occupation. Is this the time we're going to get a better tax burden? Is this the time we're going to put David in, in the kingdom of Israel more ascended? Are we going to get our old life back? Right? That what we want to do? Are you going to make Israel great again? You know, I mean, that's what they're actually saying. And Jesus says, listen, you need to be less concerned about what I'm going to do and more concerned about what I'm asking you to do. Let me take care of those things. What I'm telling you to do is whether or not What's going to happen? How the future is going to unfold? The kingdom of Israel is going to be reestablished, and so is the kingdom of God, ultimately. He's going to set the world to rights, the book of Revelation. It's going to happen. But that's not what I want you to focus on. You need to be concerned not with what I'm going to do, but with what I'm asking you to do. Let me say this. Jesus ascended. It's so very important that it's mentioned here. Not to get away from us. He didn't say, I'm done. Right? He didn't ascend 
to get away from us. He ascended so that he could come back and be in all of us to accomplish something even he couldn't have accomplished when he walked the earth. You remember he said these words to his disciples. If I go away, you will do even greater things than I have done. How is that possible? Because in the person of the Holy Spirit, who's not here to make a name for himself, he said, he is going to come and do exactly what he hears me say. He is here to glorify me. He is going to come into your life. Not just at your dinner table, not just the 12 disciples, not just the Sea of Galilee. He's going to come in your heart and he's going to make Jesus real to you and to literally hundreds of thousands and hundreds of millions of people all over the world. That's what Jesus is trying to say. God's power is for God's mission. The same power that's at work that raised Jesus from the dead, Ephesians 1, is at work in you. But for the purpose of being his witnesses to help more people engage and know the love of God and experience his power. Next Sunday, Jason mentioned this a few minutes ago, we're going to have baptisms in this service. What is baptism? It's a, it's, it's a beautiful thing, baptism. Some of you know this, some of you don't. But the purpose of baptism, you don't become, baptism doesn't make you a Christian. You know, so I guess some traditions might say that. You know, you're baptized, that's how you become a Christian. No, you become a Christian it's because of what he has done, verse 1. You become a Christian by simple faith in the work of Jesus. He took a bullet for you. He died for your sin. He became sin for you and us who knew no sin that you might become the righteousness of God in him. It's a gift. Baptism is not how you become a Christian. Baptism is your opportunity publicly. That's why it's done publicly in the scriptures and in the church to say, I want to declare. Not that I'm a perfect person. I'm a sinner. But I want to declare that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I am what I am by the grace of God, and I'm going to do everything I can to live my life for Him. That's the purpose of baptism. So we have people, you'll see them next Sunday, both of our services, but they share a little testimony, and I always read them and love them, and I asked uh, Kayla Martinez, who will be baptized next Sunday, if I could share a few of her words. This is what she says. I have always been a lukewarm Christian who grew up in a Christian home that never truly understood the weight of who God was and how, really, and how really was in my life. It was never personal with God, but he relentlessly and gently guided me to him in a way that is personal. Today, I want my life to be a living testament to his peace, his faithfulness, and his never-relenting love. I don't want to move where God is not present, and I don't want to ever live a life that God isn't guiding every step. I want this moment to be my commitment to God, but this time being all in. Listen, that's not just my hope for Kayla Martinez, but for every single person in this church, right? Some of us have been Christians for a very long time. My baptism was many, many years ago, but I need to come to a place where I want to be all in, where I say, God Oh, I want to I I re renew my faith, renew my heart. As I said, I think it was last week or the week before, make repentance a way of life. I want to come to you open-handed, open-hearted, and I want you to um, make, send your spirit afresh in my life today. Fill me in my life afresh today. Help me to be full of you. Maybe put you back in the driver's seat of my life. I, I would love to see us 
become a congregation, even individuals. Listen, we need to give up on our small ambitions. Why do we have such small ambitions? I'll tell you why I think many of us have very small ambitions in our Christian life. Because back to the sponge in the muddy, uh, in, in the, the sponge thrown in a, in, in a mud puddle. We've, we've, we, we're still Christians, but we've lost our vision of what God can do. We, we, we no longer see the problems even in our life as even solvable. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. And we look into a culture, and this is what many people say. Some of my best friends are Christians, they'll say this. Rob, the train has left the station. The school system, the train has left the station. The culture, the train has left the station. Politics, the train has left. The train's left the station. All our job, all we can do right now is hold on for Jesus to return. And when you have that attitude, let me tell you what you have. Many of us, and some of the people that say that, when I say that, they're people that have very sound theology. They have truth, but no power. And as one pastor who I have great admiration for said, listen, Christianity is always two things. It's truth and power. It's when truth becomes power that it changes your life. It changes the church, and that's what we need. And I can't flip a switch, and you can't flip a switch. But we can, listen, God's done it before. He can do it again. God can solve the problems in your life if he wants to. God can solve the problems in this community if he wants to. God can, uh, there, there is, the train has not gone too far. Right? God can do it. He's done it before. He can do it again. Last point. But God's mission requires earnest prayer. This is what the church needed to learn here. They had no idea what the challenges that they would face. This small little community of people called to be the initiators of bringing about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was not even possible until Acts chapter 2. And it says to this little band of merry men and women, 120 of them, you are going to be the agents to do that. But before you get all excited and run out the door, you need to know that God's purpose requires God's power. You absolutely, positively cannot do it on your own. You need to know that right off the bat. It's impossible. And God's power, when it shows up, maybe it isn't showed up in your life and my life because I want to use it for some other purpose. God's power is for God's mission. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Don't worry about it. Over your pay grade. Not your business in a nice way. Don't worry about what I'm going to do in your life, in your street, in your culture, in this world. I'm, I know what I'm doing. I don't need any advice from you. You need to be not worried about what I'm doing. You need to be worried about what I'm asking you to do. Only one thing. And I'm going to give you the power to do it. And that is to be my witnesses. Or I think the literal translation might be, be witnesses of me. Simply point people in everyday ways to Jesus Christ, right? Be an instrument in my life and watch me do something absolutely amazing. Watch me initiate the fifth great awakening. Why not? Right? Why not? Prayer, verse 14. They all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. That's the last image you have of this humble little group of people before 
the top blows off of everything in Acts chapter 2. They're waiting, but they need to learn these important things. God's purpose requires God's power in your life, in the life of this church, in the life of this country, in this city. But God's power is for his mission. His mission is to do what he did in your life, what he did, did, he did in, in Kayla's life. She said, listen, I've been, a, I've been a lukewarm Christian for too, too long. And now I've come to a place where God has opened my heart, opened my mind, and I want to I I be full of God. I want the power of God to be at the center of my life. And I want to tell other people about him. Prayer, listen carefully, is the active waiting that prepares us for the power of God. Prayer is the active waiting that prepares us. When I say active waiting, it's not scrolling through your phone. It's not standing in line at the grocery store. It's active waiting. It's being on your knees. It's having a a posture of dependence on God. It's living with a posture of dependence on God that says, God, this is my desire. I'm, I'm a long way. I could never, I can barely do everyday life on my own, more or less serve you and be Christ-like. It, it, it's, it's a place of dependence that says, God, I'm starting um, with nothing, but I know you can do immeasurably more than I can ever imagine in my life. Right? Align my, my life with your will. That's the prayer. Align my heart with your mission. Align my family with your will. Align this church with your will. That's the prayer. Prayer is the active waiting that prepares you, that prepares me, that prepares us for the power of God if we're open to it. The prayerful waiting on God in the book of Acts characterizes the early church Let's pray that it characterizes this one. Amen? So this is how I want to end uh, this opening uh, talk. I want to just prepare us. I hope you, every one of you, if you, you come back tonight for an hour or so. But I want to, whether you come or not, I want to I begin that moment in this room right now, just for a minute or two. That's it. I want you to um, bow your head, bow your heart, Bow your knee if you want to. And let's just take a minute or two and simply, in your own words, in your own way, pray to God. Where where do you need the power of God to show up in your life, in the life of your family? Where have you maybe given up? Where have you decided that the train has left the station and there's no point anymore in your life, for your family, for this community, listen, for this world that we live in? Where have you given up and you're saying, God, I want, you, I want the power of God to show up, right? Pray for that God would align your heart, my heart with his. Pray that God would align, pray for this church, that God would do something in the life of this church. He's done it before, he can do it again. It's not about you, it's not about me. It's about what Jesus began to do and teach, and Jesus wants to continue to do it in your life, in my life, in the life of this church. Amen? So just take a minute, and we'll be done. Uh, And let's pray, and I'll close this in just a minute.
God and Father, we come to you, uh, Lord, with uh, open hearts, open minds, open hands. Holy Father, uh, Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit, we come, Lord, just seeking your presence, seeking your will. We want to be obedient, Lord, to um, your calling in our lives. Lord, I pray first for everyone here today in this moment, Lord, who may feel exhausted, may feel um, even, I don't know, burned out, maybe feels uh, in ways um, that uh, they've kind of checked out, given up in some way about what you might want to do in their life, about ever having change in their heart, in their life, about the people they love, maybe. Lord, I just pray for all of us in this way that you would hear our prayer, that you would... Lord, send forth your Holy Spirit as you have done, not once but many times in our lives, um, into the deepest part of who we are, that our truth might be matched with your power. And Lord, that we might see the world the way that you do, that our hearts might be renewed, our faith might be um, refreshed. Lord, that our, 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 um, our connection, our union, with the risen Jesus might become stronger and more, and more real, that you would strike our hearts, that we might see and know the person of Jesus in new and powerful ways, Lord. Be at work in us as individuals, Lord. Renew our faith. And I pray for us as a church, Father. We are here ultimately passing through this life for one primary purpose, in and through what we do with our days and hours. And that is that we, in our words, in our, in our conversations, in our, in our um, comings and goings, we might be simply witnesses to you, Lord. We might point people not to ourselves, not to our own achievements or, 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 or you know, goodness, Lord. We... we we have, don't have these things. We, we want to just point people, whoever they are, whatever their story, to the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's about what he has done for them. Help us, Lord, to do that. Um, refresh us, renew us, restore us as a church, I pray. I pray, Lord, you would truly do something amazing in our lives lord help begin with a spirit of dependence and repentance and 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 a hunger and thirst for righteousness lord in me in us that we might see you really do lord um, what you want to do lord here in this place in our day so we give this to you we pray for your presence your help and we love you in jesus name amen Amen. Have a great Sunday. Hope to see many of you tonight, 6 o'clock.